you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.therockonline.org. And now, a message from The Rock of Gainesville. I want to thank Pastor George and Pastor Suzanne for the opportunity to share the word today. Been part of a great team. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor George bringing it two weeks in a row. Last week, my man, Pastor Hector Gonzalez. Come on, give it up for him. And uh, now my opportunity, then pastor's back next week. And in a couple of weeks, Jedediah Thurner is going to be with us. So it's going to be an exciting time. Yeah, woo, everybody on three. One, two, three. Good job. All right. So I do want to say thank you. You know, uh, I have really enjoyed the declaration that we've been making in our house since the first of the year with Pray First. Uh, Just the fact that we have said that, along with other things, but specifically that, uh, it has really meant a lot to me. And one of the reasons is because, you know, uh, I love the mantra that comes behind that idea of praying first. I love the declaration that comes behind the idea of praying first. Because, uh, you know, Pastor actually said this the first week. In the world that we live in, we've become very, very good at doing everything else first. Uh, He said it this way, we do a real good job of going to the doctor first. We do a real good job of going to the medicine cabinet first. We do a real good job of going to the counselor first. And you know what? All of those things are fine. There's not a problem in any one of those. But what we should be doing first is going to Jesus. Going to Jesus first. And so just the whole idea of the declaration of praying first that we've been bringing to our house has been a real uh, encouragement to me. It's been kind of a refocusing to me because, again, I think we get good at doing other things first. And in our uh, humanity and our, uh, our strength that we think we have or we're convinced we have, you know, we succeeded a few things and we think we can keep doing that over everything we do. Uh, and, and that basically is bogus. Uh, we got to walk things out with the power of God. Amen? So uh, we've got to bring that idea back, and I love how we're doing that in our house. Bring that idea back of praying first. Let me illustrate it to you this way. When I kind of describe what I feel like we've been doing a lot in our world over time, uh, I'm reading a book by Max Lucado, and I'm a big Max Lucado fan, and I'm reading probably one of my favorite Max Lucado books that I've ever read before. It was a gift from Pastor Suzanne. I'm just really enjoying this particular book. And he tells the story of being in an elders meeting. And while he's in this elders meeting, they're talking about a real, real serious subject, a real touchy subject. And one of the elders says, well, you know, uh, I guess we need to pray about this. And one of the, others, uh, one of the elders says this, oh, really? Has it come to that? That's kind of the idea of where we go if we're not careful. We do everything else as opposed to praying first. And what I want to try to accomplish today is develop an attitude in you and develop an attitude in me of not just praying first, but developing an attitude that, listen to me now, that sets the miraculous in motion. That sets the miraculous in motion. Sets in motion the hand of God that changes events, circumstances, and surroundings in such a way that we realize, listen to Pastor Ron, if God doesn't do it, it's not going to happen. 
And that's the attitude I want to, the prayer attitude that I want to develop in you and I today or begin to develop the miraculous as it relates uh, to our prayer life. Because you see, when I start talking about the miraculous, right away, your mind and my mind goes to the big event, the parting of the Red Sea, you know, the healing of a blind man, you know, giving uh, death to some, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, the ability to hear to someone that's been deaf. In a, deaf. In a little while, we're going to talk about the feeding of the 5,000. When we start talking about the miraculous, that's kind of where our mind goes. But you know what? And, and that is, those are miracles, and they're incredible. But you know what, guys? The miraculous may be the parting of the Red Sea, or it may be helping you get a parking place at the Oaks Mall. In other words, let me say it in a better way. It may be the parting of the Red Sea, or if we're not careful, we miss it because the miraculous may be something that happens in your life every day. Maybe if I could say it this way, in the mundane of your life. And if your spiritual antennas are up, aren't up, you miss it. So I want us to understand the miraculous as it relates to our prayer life. First of all, let me, let me define a miracle for you. Here's a miracle. Anything that God can do that I can't, that's a miracle. So it might be the parting of the Red Sea, or it may be that simplistic thing that's happening in your life day in and day out. Anything that God can do that I can't is absolutely miraculous in your life and mine. Let me talk about the purpose of miracles. When Jesus performed a miracle, there were three things he was doing. Number one, he was ending suffering. He was doing something for someone that was going to bring an end to their calamity, ending suffering. Number two, explaining truth. I am the son of God. I have the ability to perform this miracle, and I am the one that's doing this you can't, but I can, so let me get that truth across to you. So ending suffering, explaining truth, or establishing authority. So when Jesus or God performed a miracle, those were the three things that were taking place in the evidence of that miracle. Literally, ending suffering, explaining truth, or establishing authority. When he gave sight back to the blind, here's what he was saying. I have authority over sickness and disease, and I can end it just like that. He's also explaining truth by saying, hey, I, I'm calming these winds and these waves. I created the things. I can tell them to be quiet if I want to. Peace be still. Come on, somebody. Peace be still. Ooh. Can I chase a bunny trail for just a second? Is it, is it okay? Fantastic translation when Jesus uh, calmed the winds and the waves and said, peace be still. Literally, what he was saying there, it's a great translation, peace be still. But in the Greek language, it goes a little deeper than that. Can I give you a little, real quick Greek lesson? I didn't do this in the first service, did I? Can I give you a real quick Greek lesson? I love this, man. It's one of my favorite portions of scripture where Jesus said, peace be still, accurate translation. The way Jesus said it was this, to get tough on me also, see off. In other words, put a muzzle on it. A nice way of saying it is this way, shut up. <laughs> Can I say it like that? He was looking at the, look guys, ooh, 
oh man, don't miss this. He's looking at the wind and the waves, which represents the attack of the enemy in your life. And he's saying, shut up and be still and leave my people alone. Mm. So he's establishing authority. When he raised Jairus, his daughter from the dead, what was he doing? He's saying, I have authority over death in the grave. So what Jesus did when he performed a miracle is he ended suffering, he explained truth, or he established authority. Now, we're going to look at the feeding of the 5,000 in just a minute. Fantastic miracle. Unbelievable miracle. Probably one of the few miracles that's in all four of the Gospels. So what authority is he establishing here? Is he establishing authority over people that he can make them sit down in groups? And he did, guys. By the way, if you read Matthew's account, he made them sit down 100 by 50. How many of you know Jesus does everything in order? Isn't that good? She liked it. Did you like it? Yeah, she liked it. He does everything in order, 100 by 50. Is that the exemplification of Jesus' authority? Well, maybe. Is he exemplifying authority over a little boy? Give me your lunch or I'm going to tell your mommy. Is he exemplifying authority over carbohydrates? I'm going to make 5,000 loaves of bread. You're going to eat them and not put on any weight. What is he exemplifying authority over? Well, we're going to look at the story here and we're going to look at the authority that Jesus establishes in the feeding of the 5,000. John chapter 6. Here we go. John chapter 6, let's start reading at verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to be able to eat? Where are we going to get? There's no Publix here. The closest Publix is in Nazareth. Where are we going to get enough bread for these people to be able to eat? No Walmart here. How is this going to happen? Here's what Jesus said. Watch this. He asked this only to test him. Watch, guys. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus already knows the miracle he's going to work in your life. He's just got to get a prayerful attitude in you to be able to release his mighty hand in your life. He is already well aware of the miraculous that he's got to do in your life. He just wants you to say, hey, if it's going to happen, God, it's going to be you and not me because I can't. Philip answered and said this. It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a, a bite. I told the first service, Philip's my accountant. He's my accountant. He's the one that's, and I, can, I, and I hope I don't make anybody mad. Say, I love you, PR. I love you, PR. I'm kind of nervous about that. <laughs> I can hear his accountant voice. Well, you know, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, you know, Jesus, I, I, you know, I, the way I look at this, we could work for an entire year, and, and I've, I've, I've run the numbers. I've run the numbers, and I've done the debit column, and I've done a cost analysis, and basically what I'm seeing is we could work literally for a year. We could work for eight months, eight months and we still would not be able to buy, have enough money to buy enough bread to feed these people. We're going to fall into a cash shortage. We could work for eight months. It's just not going to happen. And then all of a sudden, here comes, here comes uh, another one of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peters. He spoke up and he said this, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? I'm going to run one more bunny trail that I did in the first service. 
I love this phrase right here that we read, we read it so fast, we skim right over it, and we miss what it's really saying. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves. A barley loaf was the worst bread in society. It was the least expensive. It was what the rich people gave to their animals. And they had any left over, they would give it to the poor people. It was a horrible tasting, hard bread that really wasn't very good. Let me tell you something, guys. A lot of times what you got or what you have to give to Jesus doesn't look that pretty. Give it to him anyway. Let him bless it, break it, multiply it, and make it beautiful in your life. And that's exactly what's going on here. This doesn't look that great, but I'm going to uh, take this lunch. And so Andrew, he gets a little cheeky with Jesus, so to speak. Gets a little sarcastic. Here's a boy with this little lunch, what are you going to do, Jesus? And Jesus says this, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down, about 5,000. About 5,000 men were there. Then they took the loaves, or Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. So what we've got here is Jesus performing a miracle. And as I've told you, he's establishing authority. He's ending suffering. These people are hungry. He's establishing truth and he's establishing authority in this miracle. But the question I've got to ask is a history changing question. Was the miracle shocking because of how much he made or because of who he used? Now we always focus on this great miracle because he took this little bitty lunch and he made five loaves and two fishes turn into a meal that would feed 5,000 people. That's what we focus on. But without the use or the volunteering or the cooperation of these disciples who he used, we don't have a miracle. Is the miracle great in your life because of what he's doing as far as the size of the miracle or because you yielded your life to him and let him do it? Why is the miracle great? Because of what he's doing, the actual event, or because he's changing your heart and your life and your future. In order to be used, they had to develop an attitude that basically said this, God, I can't, but you can. If it's going to happen, it's not going to happen because of me. It's going to happen, happen rather because of you. So the authority, get this guys, the authority that Jesus is exemplifying here is not over a crowd. It's not over a little boy. The authority that Jesus is exemplifying is not over a lunch. It's literally over the disciples. He's bringing the disciples to a place of saying this. What's a miracle? Something God can do that I can't. So if it's going to happen, it's not going to be because of me. It's going to happen because you do it, Father. Now, let me ask you this question. How do I develop this prayer attitude? How do I develop this prayer attitude? Here we go. Number one, write it down. Understand that God has already prepared you to be his partner. He's already prepared you. Verse 6, he already had in mind what he was going to do. Here, verse 9, here's a little boy. How do I develop this prayer attitude that releases the miraculous in your life and my life? I understand this. He already knows what he's going to do. I've got to line myself up. I've got to position myself with what he wants to do by literally submitting my will to his and saying, hey, God's already prepared me to be his partner. And through that, the miraculous is going to take place. Hey, here's how it happens. 
Here's one of the ways it happens. I'll, I'll illustrate it to you this way. I call it the Karate Kid Syndrome. How many of you remember the movie, The Karate Kid? Now, I'm talking about the old classic, not the fake one with Will Smith's son. I'm talking about the real Karate Kid. You remember that with Ralph Macchio? And he, he hooks up with uh, Mr. Miyagi, and all of a sudden there's this, there's this connection between the two, and what takes place is... What takes place is this connection. Do you know the first thing, and I forgot about this in the first service, you know the first thing that Mr. Miyagi told Daniel's son? I teach, you listen. I teach, you don't ask questions. And all of a sudden, Daniel's son is with Mr. Miyagi, and he's trying to learn karate. Wax on, wax off. Paint the fence. What in the world does this have to do with karate? I need to learn how to punch. I need to learn how to kick. I need to learn how to block. Wax on, wax off. Paint the fence, send the floor. What in the world does this have to do with me learning karate, knowing that I'm getting ready to go into a tournament and I'm gonna have to fight, I'm gonna get my brains beat out if I don't start learning karate. And then all of a sudden, Mr. Miyagi keeps teaching Daniel's son. And before you know it, he goes from wax on, wax off, paint the fence, send the floor, to where everything starts coming together. And no matter what Mr. Miyagi throws at him, Daniel's son knows how to deal with it. No matter what weapon he tempts him with, Daniel's son knows how to respond. No matter what attack Mr. Miyagi comes at Daniel's son with, Daniel's son knows how to deal with it. Guys, it's the same way in your spiritual life and my spiritual life. When I just trust God, not asking questions, I do what I'm told, I obey the Father, the enemy can throw anything he wants at me, and I have the ability to fight it off because no weapon formed against you shall prosper. But I've got to understand that he literally has put me in a place of training. And there's going to be times, guys, where I'm training and I don't understand the training. What am I doing painting a fence? What am I doing sanding a floor? It has nothing to do with karate. And there are times in your life and my life to where God's taking you through a process. And you're thinking, this has nothing to do with me becoming a better father. This has nothing to do with me becoming a better husband. This has nothing to do with me growing my business in a spiritual manner. This has nothing to do with my destiny and my future. Why in the world is God taking me through this process? You know what? And there are also times where God's taking you through this process and you don't feel, I don't feel like God's even there. One day Daniel's son showed up. Mr. Miyagi wasn't even there. And he left a note as to what to do, and Daniel's son obeyed and did what he was supposed to do. And there are times I'm going through a process, I don't even feel that God is there. What have I got to do? I got to put myself in a position that I know he's already purposed me to be his partner. And because I'm his partner, I don't have to worry about whether or not he's there or not. My identity shows me that I am a child of God. He's growing me up 
taking me where he wants to take me through a process of growth and through a process of change. My identity changes and shows me that he really is watching over me. When that happens, here's what takes place. My identity changes when I believe he wants to use me for extraordinary things. Okay, I don't sense God. I don't feel God. I don't know if God's there. It's okay. I'm a child of God. He's got my back. And he's taking me through a process of growth. He's taking me through a process of change. He's taking me through a process of power. And whether I sense him or not, he's still there. Danielson, he went from scared little boy getting ready for a karate tournament. And then all of a sudden he's going through the training and he goes through the training and he goes into the tournament and he, he's getting a little stronger and he goes from scared little boy to fighting man to that guy that was in the finals with a bad leg and fighting that blonde-headed guy that whipped everybody and then there's Daniel son. Whoa! Go Whoa! You know, I just realized something. It's when you do that and you're a normal-sized person, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> when you do that and you're 6'6", six, six, you look like a stork. So, <laughs> That was Daniel's son, guys. His identity changed because he was going to a tournament and was going to accomplish extraordinary things. You know, a lot of times when we tell this story, we forget about the little boy. We tell the story, we never think about the little boy again. I think that little boy's identity changed when he experienced a connection with Jesus that day. From that point on, anytime he was in a conversation and the name of Jesus came up, you know what he said? Hey, I remember the day I gave him my lunch and he fed 5,000 people. His identity changed. He went from a little boy with a little lunch to someone that accomplished phenomenal things. Why? He teamed with Jesus. He teamed with Jesus. Number two, God will stretch. God will stretch whatever it is you surrender. God will stretch whatever it is you surrender. Verse nine, all he had to give him was five barley loaves and two fish, but he reached into his bag of lunch. He reached into his backpack. Hey, let me ask you a question. How many of you I'm going to say this better this service. How many of you have a fifth or a sixth grade boy? A fourth or a fifth or a sixth grade boy? Have you ever had the courage to go into their backpack? That thing's a toxic waste dump. I mean, there's no telling what you're going to find in that backpack, man. There's anything in the world that could be in there. Uh, Jimmy Hoffa might be in there. Who knows? Elvis. Elvis. <laughs> no, I know where Elvis is. Anything could be in there. I mean, it's, it's, it's just like this, this cesspool of life. But here's a little boy who's sitting on the hillside. Jesus comes on along the scene. Andrew says, here's a little boy with a backpack that five loaves and two fish. Can you imagine what that thing smelled like after carrying that thing across the hot countryside and he had five bread loaves and two fish and that bread was wrapped in that fish. But that little boy pulled that thing out and gave it to Jesus. What's the principle there, Pastor Ron? Let me tell you something. Don't keep things 
that have hurt you in your life, in the backpack of life. Don't be afraid to take out of the baggage of your life what is there and give it to Jesus and let him make it beautiful. Just like that bread, just like that fish, it may have stunk to high heaven. The little boy didn't care. He said, here, Jesus, take what I've got in my backpack, as crazy as it might be. Look, guys, here's the principle. My responsibility is to obey. My responsibility is to surrender my heart and yield myself to the will of God. It is in the process of obedience that I gain understanding. I can't get peace that passes understanding until I give up my right to understand. It doesn't mean I walk around with my brains falling out. It means I walk around understanding that I'm, or knowing rather, I may not understand the process. I may not understand everything God is walking me through. I may not understand everything he's taking me through, but the way I get peace that passes understanding is I trust the Father and I let him bring into my life that peace because I've given it all over to him. I've given it all over to him. Do you think the disciples understood what they were seeing when that little boy came to Jesus with a fast food lunch and he's going to feed 5,000 people? You think they understood that? Absolutely not. Look, guys, today, give him your hurt. Give him your past. Give him your pain. Give him your calamity. Give him your challenges. Give him your family. Give him your kids. Give him your marriage. Give him your future. Don't hold on in the backpack of life the things that need to be turned over to Jesus. Don't hold on to them. Number three, God will do the hard things. He'll do the hard work if I do the humble work. Verse 10. Have the people sit down. Jesus took the loaves of, the, of bread, broke them, and gave thanks. You know, I can't help but believe as I let this thing kind of run through my mind that the disciples are looking at this little lunch, and they're looking at 5,000 people sitting on the hillside, and they're thinking, is this going to be done? And a little bit of worry set in. Can this really happen? I'm worried that this miracle is really going to happen. All we have to feed this huge group is a fast food lunch of five loaves and two fishes. And so worry starts setting in. Worries by the disciples. Worry is just not going to take place. What really is worry in your life and my life? Here it is. Worry is a fundamental mistake. It's a fundamental mistake in me concerning my role and God's role. When I confuse my role and I become the miracle worker... Or I attempt to become the miracle worker, worry just took over. Why? Because I'm a horrible miracle worker. I'm a really bad miracle worker. So when I confuse my role and God's role, worry is going to take over. But all God says is do this. I'll do the hard work. You do the humble work. You know what the word humble in the Hebrew is or what it means? In Hebrew, the word humble literally means this, agreement with God. Jesus said it this way, I've got to decrease so that he can increase. I can't get in agreement with God unless I decrease so that God can increase. But I've got to be able to do the hard work in order, um, the humble work rather, in order to do that. Just not always easy to do. God says, you do the humble work, I'll do the hard work. Let me explain it this way. Matthew chapter 11. Come unto me, 
all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The way they trained oxen in ancient Israel was they would take an experienced oxen and they would put a yoke on him. And then they would take an inexperienced oxen and they'd bring him right up next to him and they'd yoke the two together. But 95% of the weight of the yoke was on the experienced oxen. Very, very, very little weight went on that inexperienced oxen. And then they would take them down a path walking together. But that experienced oxen was carrying all the weight. That inexperienced oxen was just kind of walking alongside him. That's exactly what Jesus is doing for you guys today, guys. He's saying, we're yoked together. I'm walking alongside you. And I'm carrying the weight. I'm carrying the weight. I'm doing the hard work. You just walk next to me. We're in this together. We're yoked together. We're walking it out together. But I'm doing the hard work. You just walk alongside me as I walk alongside you. I'm thinking. last principle and I'm going to be done it's the one that you're going to like the most but it's the one that's the hardest to do just sit down if I want a prayer attitude that releases the miraculous the first thing that Jesus told that crowd he didn't say go find me a lunch somewhere He didn't say go buy enough bread. The first thing he told that group when the miraculous had to take place was sit down. Just sit down. There's plenty of green grass. Mm. There's plenty of beautiful hillside. Just sit down. Now, in our 21st century Christianity, that preaches a lot easier than it walks, doesn't it? But he said, I've got the miraculous for you. I already know what I want to do for you. Just sit down and then watch me do it. Just sit down and wait. Think about this with me. Get get in your mind's eye. You're part of a crowd of 5,000. You're sitting on a hillside. You're hungry. You've been told that there's a lunch down there that a little boy has And the only thing you've been told to do while you're used to working everything out on your own, the only thing you've been told to do is to sit down. Wait just a second. That doesn't go with my modern day Christianity. I got to go here. I got to go here. I got to do this. I got to do that. No, Jesus said, sit down.
And so there you are, sitting on the hillside. And you're sitting there and you're hungry. And you're not number one. You're 4,999. And so you're sitting on the hillside and you're hungry. And the rumor through the crowd has worked back and said, hey, a little boy just gave Jesus five loaves and two fish. And he's going to feed this crowd with those five loaves and two fish. And you're 4,999. Can you imagine the anxiety and the anticipation of 4,999? You've heard about Jesus. You heard he was the real deal. But you're 4,999. You're not number one. And so it starts going through the crowd. And you watch it go through the crowd. And then all of a sudden you look and it's coming down your row. What is your thought? Don't run out, don't run out, don't run out, don't run out. <laughs> And then it hits your lap. Let me ask you a question. Did that miracle that just hit your lap after you waited 4,999, did that miracle that just hit your lap, did it taste any better for number one than it does for you? No. You don't want to know why? Because God never runs out of the miraculous. Mm. He never runs out of the miraculous. So the way that bread and that fish taste for number one, it tastes just as good for you. You had to wait longer, but the reality of God's power was just as real for you as it was for that guy sitting right down there because of the power of our Lord. I'm going to quit. One other thing I thought about saying, I'm not going to say it. I'm going to quit. That's a good place to stop. Bow your head. Father, in Jesus' name, I bless the people of God today. I thank you for this body that's gathered together and come together today, Lord. Different areas of the city, we prayed them in from the north, south, east, and west, and now they're here. And so, Father, we just uh, take a moment to declare how great you are in our lives how wonderful you are in our lives to do the miraculous, whatever the miraculous is for us. It may be different as it's represented in different people. That's fine. We trust you with it. And so, Lord, we say thank you for doing everything that you do in our lives day in and day out that we can't do. And the one thing we can't do, Lord, is probably the most miraculous thing ever known to mankind and that's to see our lives changed and made new. We don't have the ability to do that. You did that for us on the cross. And through that, you gave us life and gave it to us more abundantly. And so, Father, if there's people in here today that need that miraculous work of the cross, 
Speak to their heart right now, and I thank you for it. No, nobody's looking around. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Truly, guys, the greatest miracle known to mankind is what Jesus does in your life when he makes your life new. I can't do it. It's a price I couldn't pay. It's a price I couldn't pay, and he did it for me. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, Pastor Ron, I need that miraculous work of the cross in my life today. I need Jesus to get me off the path that I've been on and put me on a new path so that my life will be new and I can experience the miraculous, changing, saving power of our God. Would you please pray for me? Put your hand up right where you are. Yes. 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 Thank you so much. You can put it right back down. Yes, right back there. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Here's what I want to do. I want to lead this entire body in a prayer. And if you raise your hands, I want you to pray this with me. Everybody's going to pray out loud. The Bible makes it really, really clear in Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose again, your life will be changed. That miraculous work of the cross will take place in your life. And so as we lead this entire congregation, you pray that out loud. And in your heart, mean that. And Jesus will do that miraculous work. So let's pray together. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I ask you right now to do that work. To do that work that Pastor Ron talked about. Takes my life off a path of destruction and puts me on a path of new life. I ask you now, Forgive me of my sins. Change my life. Make all things new. I thank you, Father. Old things are gone. Jesus is starting something new in me right now. And I thank you for it. I declare I want to live for you. I want that miraculous work not to be a moment in time, not to be just a launching pad, but to be a new life that I live. And I trust you to keep me led by your hand on that path. And I thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, give the Lord a big ovation of praise and thank him for what he's doing in all of our lives today. And we say thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to this message from The Rock of Gainesville. For more information about our church, visit www.therockonline.org.